I just noticed something. The beginning of the video, Courtney said good morning. A lot of you said good morning back to the screen, which I thought was really great. <laughs> good morning. See, I now it's to me. Uh, but I just love how you talk to the screen. That was, that was kind of classic. Uh, to understand the message, you, you've got to kind of understand why, where it came about, the, the, the inspiration to the whole thing. And it's a little old lady in her choir robe. But I, I, I've got to give you two seconds of, of background. Before I was a pastor, I was a speech therapist. Frightening, I know. Uh, and I, I got my, my degree up at Michigan. And in order to be a speech therapist, you also had to have a, te- a teaching certificate, which meant you had a student teach. But it had to be done in Michigan because they had proctor groups that met weekly and talked about your experience so far. So I had to do my student teaching in Michigan, even though I lived in Indiana. I had to solve that. My uncle uh, pastored a church in Michigan. So I went to live with his family and my, aunt and, and my cousins for 16 weeks, a full semester while I student taught. Okay, I said all that only to say, because of that, I lived in a Nazarene pastor's home, a parsonage. And it's a little bit different. On this particular Sunday, at lunchtime after church, uh, the phone rings, and it always, always rang during lunch. And we're not talking about cell phones. I mean, I'm in college. We're going back, back to the 70s. So, uh, you know, it's one of these long cords. My uncle's at the table trying to have his lunch and talk. The lady on the other side, and it's not a speakerphone. You've got to go back in time. You know, all I could hear is through the, through the muffled earpiece. The lady was ticked. I mean, rawr, 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 rawr. she's really laying into him. And he says, now, he's trying to settle her down. He's, he's of course, being calm. You remember that we, we, we donated, we, we, we bought them and donated. No, 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 She's off. Well, we'd love to have you back in the choir. And she was really launching on him. He wasn't he wouldn't able to settle her down. And she finally finished, we'll see about that, and hung up. Now, he pieced together what had happened. Uh, going back in time, choir robes. The church, choir robes weren't cheap. And to buy like 30 of them would add up. So the, the people said, we need new robes. We'll buy our own robe and donate it to the church. And if someone didn't have the finances, someone would be able to buy two robes and donate it on their behalf. Anyway, everybody, everybody got new choir robes, but they purchased their own robe, donated it to the church. This lady t- had quit the choir. This was the first Sunday night in the choir. And somehow she was able to tell that someone else was wearing her robe. And she was upset because she felt that, that, was, that was her property. And my uncle was trying to be so tactful. Now, remember, when we bought those robes a couple years back, we, it was a donation to the church. It's really, it's really the churches. No, 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 no. no. Well, we'd love to have you back in the choir. And, you, and when you come back, the robe is yours. No, no, no. So we'll see about that. What she did, she was a board member. Can we all go? She was a board member, therefore had a key. She came to church on Saturday evening, got her choir robe off the hanger, rolled it in a ball, and hid it somewhere in the church. Again. So my uncle had to go over early, and my cousin and I would go over early Sunday morning to find the robe. And literally, we'd be not, not, in, the, not in the boys' bathroom, not in the girls' bathroom, not in junior church, not in the closet. We, we'd scour the church to find this lady's robe. We always found it. We put it back on the hanger, and then came my fun. Because as you know, maturity is not my big gift. Every, every church, this one, this one too, like every church, people tend to sit basically in the same seats. You, you've got a comfort zone. You, you see the pastor at the same angle or whatever. But uh, Valpo here, every church I've ever been at, they just want to sit in their seat. I get that. But I knew where this lady was going to sit. So I'd position myself so I could see her face when the choir came out. Because it was pretty obvious which robe was wrinkled. It had been in a ball. 
So I wanted to see her face because whenever the choir came out and she saw her robe, she would just tense up. And I wanted to go, yeah, we found it again. <laughs> again, the gift of maturity. And after a while, it began to kind of bother me. Why is it? Some people live so spiritually, so mature, that they just can't be rattled, and others could lose it over a robe. I mean, what's the difference? And I know I don't understand the judgment bar of God. Nobody, nobody can, can decipher eternity. I can't grasp eternity. I get things that start and stop. I, I can't figure out, my, I can't wrap my mind around eternity. I can't wrap my mind about, around the judgment bar of God. I know there's not a long line, you know, now serving 3 trillion and 42. But what if there was? I would be afraid, who would I follow? Who, who would give their testimony that i got to give mine? I mean, can, can you imagine? Here comes Stephen. Lord, even though they stoned me in a gruesome death, I would not be separated from you. Then comes, here comes John the Baptist. Lord, though they chop off my head, I would not be separated from you. Then comes this lady. They took my robe. It had the hidden zipper and everything. Why the difference? Why are there these, these superstars that will not be moved and people who can be moved over a choir robe? I mean, what, what creates this difference? Because it's important churches are dying out. I think the answer is we have to die out to ourselves. And the difference is we have people who are making contributions of their life rather than being totally committed. You can't live kingdom and just give contributions of your life. You, you can't live kingdom and live for yourself at the same time. I mean, the wording is that we die out to who we were. We die out to ourselves that we might live completely for Christ. Whoa, Gene, that's pretty aggressive, isn't it? Hey, it's not my words. Romans 6, 6-8, to eight. listen carefully. Christ died that we may have been joined with him by dying also. Woo. So we'll also be joined with him by raising from the dead as he did. We know that our old life dead with Christ on the cross. Our sinful selves would no longer have power over us. And we would not be slaves to sin. Great words. Anyone who has died is made free from sin's control. Woo. Free from sin's control. If we died with Christ, we also live with him. So he died for us, we die for him. When we die, we literally slay ourselves. That he would be the total of our lives. That he would literally be on the throne of our life. Uh, the difference here is being absolutely, totally committed or giving contributions. I think churches are collapsing across America because good people, I mean good people, are giving a contribution of themselves to God. There's a difference between commitment and contribution. The best way to understand it is a fairy tale. I know it's a fairy tale because animals talk. And I learned a long time ago, if animals are talking, probably not a true story. Just saying. Pig and a chicken are walking in the barnyard. They're friends just, just kind of... I would say chewing the fat, but that's a bad chicken and chicken. But just kind of talking. And they pass the barnyard church. It's one of these churches that has one of these signs out front with cute sayings or, 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 or challenges. They walk by, and the pastor had put up this week, sacrifice, feed the poor. And the pig and chicken are walking along and saying, you know, we ought, we ought to do something. Uh, we've never sacrificed it. We ought, we ought to find a way to feed the poor. And the chicken says, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of convicted myself. 
Why, why, don't we, why don't we give him breakfast? And the pig goes, yeah, yeah, let, let, let's cook him a breakfast. And the chicken says, how about eggs and ham? The pig says, wait a second. For you, it's a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. See, the problem of our church is we have people more than willing to give the eggs. We'll, we'll make great contributions to ourselves, but we're not going to die to ourselves. We're happy with the contribution. And Satan, the ultimate liar, comes along and says, you're doing great with your contributions. You ought to be proud. Either our Christians die out or our churches eventually will die out. Ten little Christians, all in a line. Someone got their feelings hurt. Now you've got nine. Nine little Christians, all wanting crowns that can hardly wait. She overheard some gossip. Now you've got eight. Eight little Christians, all with a goal of heaven. The pastor didn't call on me when I was sick. You've got seven. Seven little Christians, all in a mix. All the crafts came late one week late for vacation Bible school. Now you've got six. Six little Christians, busy as bees in a hive. She heard him talking about a wig. She wasn't wearing one. Now you have five. Five little Christians. Remember when there were more? All the buses broke down on the same Sunday. I quit. Now you got four. Four little Christians, busy as they can be. They took her choir robe. Now you got three. Three little Christians, all tried and true. They skipped me when it was my turn to play the piano. Now we got two. Two little Christians serving the sun. I don't like the new pastor a bit. Now you have one. Let's change it. One lone Christian died to self, sold out. With this kind of Christian, you'll soon have two. Two little Christians sold out working for more. Pretty soon you have four. Four little Christians died out to self, each winning their mates. Now you have eight. Eight little Christians. I, I couldn't rhyme 16, didn't have the fingers. I stopped. But you get the picture. We either die out to self and really live kingdom, remember kingdom, living my life every day that God receives glory from my life. Either we die out, live kingdom, or eventually our churches will die out. You would be shocked how many churches of all denominations are basically on hospice. Because the fact of the matter is, they're filled with good people who've been there for years, who are honestly, legitimately good people, who know the Lord, who have been stopped by giving contributions of themselves. Dennis Kinlaw, one of my all-time favorite theologians, writes on this subject. And let me just take one paragraph. Self, not dethroned, but dead. A dead self is not an imprisoned self. It's not the dead self that we should fear, but the imprisoned, thwarted self. You ever, you ever notice this whole symbolism in baptism? Now, I've done baptism by sprinkling but only because it's necessary. Maybe it's a child that's had a near-drowning experience and they're terrified of water. Doing this to them isn't baptism, it's terror. Maybe that tube's in your ears. Maybe it's a senior citizen a few years ago. I, I, I think I baptized the oldest person I ever baptized. They were in their, in their early 90s. They couldn't, they couldn't do this. So under, under weird circumstances, of course, I'm willing to sprinkle. But I don't like to do that. I want to immerse them. Because of the symbolism the symbolism is designed in Colossians 2.12. Listen to it carefully. When you were baptized, you were buried with Christ. And you were raised up with him through your faith in God's power that was shown when he raised Christ from the dead. You ever take a good look at baptism? I've seen it a thousand times if you've been part of church. 
what you are is now dead and buried. And now you're arisen, alive, a brand new person. Unless you slay yourself, you can't die and be buried. The whole kicker here is what I used to be is dead. Dead. I am now alive, a brand new person in Christ. It is an absolute, total surrender. Now, the fancy dancy theological term is called sanctification. This is me getting off the throne. Because frankly, when you brought Jesus in your life, that's what you did. The prayer of forgiveness is a very specific prayer. God in heaven, forgive me of my sins. We're dealing with yesterday. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Well, that's pretty specific. That's a specific request and a specific, specific response. The good news is he never says no. God says, whoever comes unto me, I'll in no wise cast out. What do you think? He died on the cross for everybody but you? So that's a specific prayer. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Great. Praise God. I mean, praise God. But the problem is I'm still in my life. We, we, we've, got, we've got competing powers at play here. Sanctification is saying, now, I don't want to share. I want to step aside. I, I don't want us to kind of coexist in my life. I want you on the throne of my life. It's really stepping off the throne. It's absolute surrender. Forgiving me of my sins is not absolute surrender. And when, when we absolutely surrender, the trajectory of our spiritual life and trajectory of our spiritual maturity changes. So is this an instant, a prayer, or is it also a process? Remember last week we talked about some things are instantaneous and a process, why you think they're the opposites, and I gave the example of marriage. When I got married June 2nd, 1979, I was married as I, as I could be. I can't be more married than that. 41 years later, I'm tons more married than that. There's got to be that moment in, in my marriage when I say, it all happened on June 2nd, 1979. Sanctification is really almost where we were last week with, with emotions. Sanctification is really almost that same thing. That point in time when I said, God in heaven, control me. I surrender. Fill me with you. That does open up a process of understanding what that journey is. Now, I, I've, I've got to be confessed to you. I hate cliches. I mean, I feel like... They're a crutch of speaking, throwing cliches out. I, I, but sometimes cliches are cliches because they say it really well. So let me give you a cliche. The Holy Spirit is no longer a resident. He's now the president. For some people, that clicks. For some people, they go, oh, now I get it. When I invited him in, he was a resident. Now he is the president. He has absolute control of me. I think one way to learn is by opposites. The only way you know what hot water is, you know what cold water is. Can't have a right field unless you got a left field. So, you know, we kind of learn, I think, by opposites. So let's take a look at the opposite of sanctification, which, of course, would be demon possession. Totally given over to the enemy. 100% given over to the enemy. And that begins with a key process, a key event that opens the process. Now, I, I want to be careful here because I... I don't have the right to judge anybody. I don't have the right to evaluate anybody. But in my own mind, I think I saw someone demon-possessed one time in my life. Maybe there have been others that have been able to mask it. I don't know. But I think in my own mind, I'm convinced I saw a demon-possessed person one time in my life. Now, uh, Geraldo Rivera, it's not Geraldo Rivera, <laughs> was interviewing Charles Manson. And I don't want, you probably most of you remember the basic story of the Manson killings and all. 
And Manson was up for parole, and so they put him on TV, which I thought was wise to remind us who this guy was. And Geraldo Rivera had this one-hour, 60-minute special where he was one-on-one talking with Charles Manson. And the more Charles Manson talked, I thought, don't ever let this dude out. The thing that was scary to me was the things they were saying were completely evil. But to him, they made sense. To him, they were giving us the gospel. For him, they were truth. For him, he was speaking what Satan would say. He was thinking the way Satan would think. He was totally taken over, I felt like. And Charles Manson wasn't born this way. He might have been the best kid in kindergarten. He might have been the teacher's helper. Somewhere along the line, in this guy's life journey, somewhere along the line, he opened the door to the enemy. And that began a process from a single event. Whatever that event was, there was a turn in his life, a decision. Somewhere the door was opened. And by the way, if you open the door to Satan, he's going to come in. I mean, duh. That's so, so brilliant, isn't it? If you open the door, he's going to come in. So much of, of spiritual thinking is not brilliant. It's just common sense. Somewhere along Charles Manson's life, he opened the door, and the process began until more and more and more and more. He began to think and act and function the way Satan would until Satan completely controlled him. I'm not the judge, but I'm suspicious that he might be the one person that I think might have been totally, totally demon-possessed. That's the opposite, where we open the door to the Holy Spirit, where we say, this is my decision, not the resident, the president, thank you for forgiving me of my sins, be on the throne, I raise the white flag, however you want to put it, but crying out loud, I surrender all of me, period. And then the trajectory changes until, buckle up, buckle up, the word says, We have the mind of Christ. (laughs) Now that's hard to understand unless you've been married for decades. If you've been married for decades, I have Tammy's mind. I do. I could tell you what she's thinking under any situation. She has my mind. She she knows what I'm going to say before I say it. And I can be in a room where sometimes I'm joking and I get a little, little too weird. Tammy can be on the other side of the room and give me merely a quick glance, and I know it's time to shut up. I call it the look. How, how can she do that? Because I got her mind. We're so familiar. It all began on a simple wedding day. Did, did she have that ability on our wedding day? No, no. We had to have that day, that event, that crisis, whatever you want to call it, to open the door to us more and more and more. When we surrender, it's not a matter of Jesus come into my life. It's not Jesus take over. When we have that surrender, it begins this process where the word says we have the mind of Christ. What we talk is what he would say. The way Manson talked, what Satan would say. The way we think is how he would think. The way we, the way we carry ourselves around other people is the way he would carry himself. That's why he said, so send I you. Well, if you can't act the way I act, why would I send you? But I send you, the word says. I send you because you represent me, because you got my mind. If you've merely invited him into your life, I'm not sure that we really have his mind. It's almost killing myself, baptism. What I used to be is dead and gone. That sinning person is gone. I am alive in Christ. In fact, the wording is even more brutal than just killing myself. Look at Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their own sinful natures. Back then and maybe through all time, there was no more 
brutal death and a crucifixion. Rome invited people to come watch because they said, if you would watch a crucifixion, you're going to be a law-abiding citizen. Talk about a visual aid. And now he says, that kind of death, you do. You die that much for me. You completely let go of you completely. And I am now in complete control. To where we are, the relationship between me and you has a trajectory change. This is not forgive me on my sins. That's yesterday. This is now you're in charge tomorrow. Romans 8, 4. I mean, it's the, it's the dominant theme. He, is referring to Jesus, did this so that we could be the kind of people that the law correctly wants us to be. Now we do not live following our sinful selves. But we live following the Spirit. We do not live a life of sin. I tell you, statistically, churches are hurting across America. They're splitting over the unimportant. They're splitting over a choir robe. Why? Because good people have given the eggs. They're not totally committed. They become easy pickings for the enemy. Pretty soon the petty can be important. Satan is really effective in the ridiculous. A choir robe. But I think you and I want something genuine, real. Lord Jesus, I want to live kingdom. Your will only. That's why the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. But the kicker here, on earth as it is in heaven. How do you think his will is done in heaven? I bet it's done immediately. I bet it's done thoroughly. I bet it's done lovingly. I bet there's an attitude of your will in heaven. And Jesus is saying, that kind of attitude here on earth, thy will be done. He didn't end there. He gave a qualification. Thy will be done down here on earth the way it is in heaven. I mean now. That's putting away spiritual immaturity. No more falling for Satan's trivia. No more falling for Satan's games. There's, there's kind of a once and for all attitude here. Thy will. There's a grit teeth to this, isn't this? This is not for children. But once this is done, be very careful of resurrections. Because just because you pray, you pray a prayer, God in heaven, I thank you for coming into my life, and now I step aside, I die. You completely control. Satan's not going to go, well, I guess that's that. Never yield back to Satan a point you've already won. Never yield back to Satan a point you've already won. Never yield back to Satan a point you've already won. He said it three times. It must be important. It is. Satan's going to try to bring you right back. He's not quitting. In fact, at the point of sanctification, he's going to come to you harder than he's ever come before. Because this is Normandy, my friends. This is, this is the beachhead. This is huge in your spiritual walk. Satan now will battle with everything he has to derail you. Never yield back to Satan the point you've already won. There's a wonderful book by Dr. Tumult Stanford. I've always remembered his name because Tumult Stanford is the head of, head of the psychology department at Stanford University. So Stanford is Stanford. Anyway, he writes about ruts. He says, we develop mental ruts. And fact, point of fact, happiness ends up being a rut. The reciprocal, unhappiness ends up being a rut. There are people unhappy all the time. In fact, if they were happy, they would feel awkward because they're in that rut. There are people that are complainers. And if, they, if you solved everything they complained about and got them out of that rut, they would feel so uncomfortable, they would figure something somewhere to complain about, so then go back in the rut. It becomes almost a mental lifestyle, a, a, a mental comfort zone. 
So I, when I pastored, I would recognize these people. If they were complaining about something, I never solved it. Because they'll find something else. Might as well let them keep the first one. Because you will fight to get back to the rut of your happiness. And sometimes that rut of your happiness, oddly enough, is an unhappy spirit. It becomes like a mental comfort zone. There are people always dissatisfied. They're dissatisfied with their church, dissatisfied with other people, dissatisfied here, here, they're all over the place. It, things may be smooth running, but they're going to find a problem whether it exists or not. The biggest problem is they tend to recruit. That's why dying out to ourselves is so absolutely vital. It's a cry from our soul. Thy will be done in me, living kingdom, because the stakes are incredibly high. We're dealing with eternity. And Satan wants to just chip away at you, especially in your spiritual life. If you brought Christ in your life, praise God, praise God, praise God. He's answered that prayer. But if you feel like I'm constantly struggling, maybe the issue is who's really in control of your life. You've dealt with yesterday. Praise God for dealing with yesterday. That's eternity. Now we've got to deal with tomorrow. Let's, let's stand together. Father, we just come before you and thank you. We thank you for your presence and your power and your authority. For the one who created is the one with authority. And we either acknowledge it and follow it or ignore it. And Father, I believe there are, there are folks that have said, yes, I want Jesus. And you've been invited into their life. And we praise God for this reality and fact. But from then on, it's been more of a struggle than a joy. Maybe the issue is who's controlling the tomorrows. Maybe there's folks that just right here, right now, say, God in heaven, nothing has made more sense to me in a message than what I got right now. I now see the hole in the game. God in heaven, I step off the throne. I want to almost mentally picture a throne where I'm walking off and escorting you, saying, I die out. I don't want to just be a contributor. I don't want to be here because I love this church. I love this church. I don't want to be here because I love the people. I have friends here. I have friends here. I want to be here because I am kingdom. And I can't live without you and being in your presence in worship. Father, I pray that you would come alongside us this morning and begin an incredible process. God in heaven, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. The holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.